Du lytter til en podcast fra Free Observer. Du kan se videoversionen af denne podcast på freeobserver.org. Free Observer er til dig, som ønsker en ærlig, åbensindet og undersøgende medieplatform, uden tabuer og uden anden dagsorden end uafhængig videnskab og fri debat. Vi tilstræber at skabe dialog om menneskelige og samfundsmæssige forhold og give plads til magtanalyse og magtkritik. God fornøjelse. Today I, we've got uh, a long distance um, uh, communication going because uh, we uh, we're speaking to uh, uh, what has become a friend of mine I think over the past uh, few weeks uh, all the way from Bangalore in India. Now, as a brief introduction to uh, the purpose behind uh, this hopefully series of uh, conversations that we are going to be having is that uh, Dr. Gaurang uh, Ramesh uh, is a, he's a he's a medical doctor he's a surgeon in gastroenterology uh, at Bangalore Hospital uh, but he has what i consider um, a very very interesting um, understanding of medicine and health which goes beyond the sort of traditional uh, medical doctor's view on it i think uh, and considering um, the changes that are happening particularly in these days uh, with the With the with the COVID uh, pandemic and the uh, fairly severe reactions towards it, I think we've come to uh, think about health again. Uh, and these kind of very dramatic occurrences, I think, are great opportunities to revise um, the paradigm uh, that was prevalent before, uh, and out of which hopefully we can build something better. And Dr. Ramesh has uh, some fascinating. A fascinating way of looking at health and medicine, um, which uh, perhaps stems a little bit from his Indian origins and Ayurveda. We'll ask him, uh, but it's um, uh, but it's it's a much more holistic approach. And with all that, uh, welcome to to the program, uh, Garang. I hope I can call you by your first name. We know each other pretty well by now. Uh, welcome to Free Observer. Thank you so much, Casper, uh, for giving me the opportunity to join you i think you are uh, doing a taking a very noble initiative at a time where the whole world is confused with the information uh, what they're receiving the journalism also has been you know, very confusing people don't know whom to believe and what to trust everybody has a lot of information and you have been going in the pursuit of finding the truth uh, and making it available to the masses And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be a part of this Nobel Initiative. Wow! Thank you. I mean, you. I think we need to recruit you as our marketing agent. Uh, that's 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 very kind of you. I mean, that's 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 obviously our kind of ambition is to look at things uh, with with greater nuance and um, and from a different perspective. Um, also, to get a better understanding because nothing is singular. Uh, life is much more complex than that. So maybe uh, maybe I just uh, uh, explain um, how I got to know about you. I mean, I've I've been following you for a while uh, without you knowing, um, uh, basically on social media, which shows that uh, yes, uh, technology can be a challenge in terms of the invasion into our lives, but it can also bring us together, and it's one way of uh, obviously communicating all this 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 knowledge we're about to to discover now. Uh, but you. Um, You've been posting uh, fairly um, regularly, 
about your views on uh, especially diet-related things. So why don't we start with you giving us your macro perspective on how you look at health and medicine and uh, and the human body? Yeah. Uh, well, as a doctor, uh, in the training, we've always um, learned only to look at the disease, the illness only, and tra treat the illness. But we never uh, concentrate on uh, getting the physiology back to completely normal state. Once the disease is okay, uh, we are done with the treatment. We don't bother about the patient. So, but what is happening today is uh, we are moving towards uh, an epidemic of chronic diseases. So the top five reasons of death today are preventable chronic diseases, which can probably be uh, reversed completely if we really focus on the diet and the lifestyle changes. Interesting. But uh, traditionally, our medical training has always taught us to uh, treat only the disease. So we only have been looking at the symptoms and the pathology. For example, uh, when we look at diabetes, we look at diabetes, uh, we, we call and uh, diagnose the patient as diabetes when the sh blood sugar levels are high. And we only focus on getting the blood sugar levels low. So what we are doing with the medicines are we are pushing all the sugar from the bloodstream into the cells. But we don't really uh, focus on what's happening in the cell. So when we go into the physiology or the biochemistry uh, and understand chronic diseases and focus on reversing chronic diseases, I think uh, it, it comes down to just four simple things. Diet, exercise, sleep and mental health. So I think those four things are the pillars of our health and well-being now. And I want to focus on those four pillars more than just treating the diseases. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I remember those four last time we spoke. Uh, they, they've become my sort of four, uh, I don't know, not dogmas, but, but guiding principles, as you say. One, diet. Two, sleep. Three, movements and activity. And then for uh, the mind and the role of the mind, we're going to explore all these. Uh, but uh, but your approach, which is what I find so interesting, I mean, you you called it functional medicine, uh, which has a multidisciplinary approach, and obviously all those four are are, are evidence of this uh, multidisciplinary nature or holistic uh, nature of it. So. Um, Tell us a little bit, I mean, you've spoken specifically now, and we'll, we'll come into that uh, about diabetes, which is a, a, a significant problem around the world. And being Danish, you know, we, we're very familiar with it because, because of the pharmaceutical companies that we have, like Novo Nordisk, that produces uh, treatments um, against it. But tell us the story of how you made the discovery of the impact, your personal story, that is, I'm thinking of your grandfather now, of the impact that such a holistic approach can have. Because one thing is that we all know that we ought to balance these four things in our lives. 
But I think it's very powerful when we hear actual cases that illustrate just how profound these effects can be. Yeah. Um, my grandfather was a professor of medicine himself. Mm -hmm. uh, so when an, uh, I- Very distinguished family. <laughs> <laughs> When I finished my surgical residency and got back home, uh, he was in a progressive stage of Alzheimer's, advanced stage of Alzheimer's. And uh, uh, being a doctor himself, we had access to the best neurologists in the city. And all of them had given up on him. They said, no, they, this, this is a progressive disease, which uh, nothing can be done now. Uh, he just has to live with it. Mm -hmm. So that's when I thought uh, I wanted to go a little more deeper and I came across a book called End of Alzheimer's by Dale Bretson. So uh, Dale, Dale Bretson, The End of Alzheimer's. Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. So he is a neurobiologist who has spent about 25 to 30 years on just Alzheimer's research. Uh, in um, he, He's based in America, in Chicago. Yeah. So he has developed an extensive protocol uh, on diagnosing and also treating uh, Alzheimer's and he's had the highest success rate of uh, reversing cognitive decline. Uh, being in India, I didn't have access to advanced uh, diagnostics, the genetic testing and uh, uh, advanced biochemical testing. So, but I just followed his protocols, dietary changes and lifestyle changes. Uh -huh. And within six months, uh, my grandfather, who was completely bedridden, he was dependent on everybody. He was not able to swallow uh, solid. He was only having liquids. He progressed to a state where he started uh, talking. He started responding. He was able to uh, swallow solid food. He could um, move and he could eat by himself also. So everybody at home was shocked to see the uh -huh. kind of Made and, I can uh, imagine, yeah. So that's when I realized that uh, we are really missing the fundamental aspects of health in medicine. Uh, and uh, that's when I realized the potential of uh, uh, food also. And I wanted to dive a little deeper and uh, I got uh, introduced to functional medicine. So can functional you, medicine you, was... But, uh, just before we get on to to that whole concept and practice of uh, functional medicine. Um, when, first of all, when, when was that book published? In 2018. 2018, so it's a relatively new book. And, yeah. and what were the protocols um, that, I mean, you, you had some limitations as most people do in terms of access to certain medical equipment, but what were the principal protocols uh, that, that you implemented? Uh, he, his basic uh, principle was to get into the root cause. Yeah. So um, uh, he, he, he mainly uh, says if you have to break it down into very basic stuff, he says that Alzheimer's can be because of insulin resistance. So mm -hmm. just like diabetes, uh, which we call the type 2 diabetes, yeah. The recent concept. Are you froze? Unfortunately, your 
everything froze on your side. Um, okay, so so that's from 2018. So it's a relatively new book. Um, but can you can you just tell us about what uh, what were the um, the protocols or the principles that he outlined? Yeah, uh, he mainly says that we have to go into the root cause of Alzheimer's. The root cause can be because of uh, multiple things. First, it could be insulin resistance in the brain. So the present concept is uh, that just like in type 2 diabetes, uh, our body develops insulin resistance, uh, Alzheimer's or cognitive decline is considered to be type 3 diabetes where there is insulin resistance in the brain. And this is also mainly because of our diet and uh, food, excess carbohydrates in the diet. Hmm. And the second reason can be because of uh, chronic inflammation in the brain uh, because of uh, a low-grade infection, which has not been, uh, you know, treated completely. Uh, my grandfather had a chronic uh, otitis media, an ear infection, uh, which uh, he neglected for a while, and he always had some problem with the ear. And it could be <clears throat> uh, low uh, nutrients in the diet. Uh, nutrient insufficiency, uh, nutrient deficiency, which can cause Alzheimer's. It could be toxins. Uh, we are continuously exposed uh, to toxins from the environment, or it can be uh, toxins which uh, are implanted into our body. For example, uh, in the tooth, when you undergo root canal, the, earlier they used to have mercury amalgam uh, inserted into the uh, root canal for the your root canal treatment so that can get into the blood over a long time and cause uh, alzheimers yeah it's funny uh, some of the uh, some of the posts that uh, i've read of yours they talk about uh, uh, the the bacterial health of your of your uh, of your throat um, yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, and there you talk about fluor as well and some of these things how they can cause it. but let's I mean that comes later on but um, so okay so he he um, mentions uh, uh, obviously diet both in terms of uh, toxins we're exposed to uh, from so what he says is we need to actually find out what what might be the reason for the person's alzheimer's mm -hmm. so you have to test for the toxic level in the body you have to check if there's any chronic infections and you'll have to uh, uh, modify his diet and uh, reduce the uh, you know carb carbohydrate intake supplement him with all not just uh, some uh, nutrients which uh, we know like vitamins and minerals but also uh, supplement uh, some uh, fairly new supplements which uh, you know power up the mitochondria yeah so we talked about those uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll definitely we'll get into those but um uh, but you 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 read this book, and I, I want to return back to your to your grandfather, and then the the patient that you have before we delve into uh, these specifics, because um, none of these things that you've just mentioned, I mean, none of these kinds of let's call it holistic ways of analyzing uh, a patient is currently done, right? I mean none of those factors are taken into account when a patient comes in with a chronic disease. 
that's true uh, it takes about uh, when we really want to probe into the root cause it it takes about one and a half hour or two hours uh, for the initial consultation which uh, no doctor or uh, health professional has the time and uh, it, it's not exactly that the health professional doesn't have the time but the basic uh, uh, structure of our healthcare system has always been to spend 10 15 minutes with a patient come to a diagnosis prescribe a medication and be done with it yeah, so, so that is really... the why we have we don't have the time uh, or we don't have the perspective to go into the root cause right so this is a this is a structural issue and and as we'll touch on later on of course the way we approach it in terms of uh, uh single uh, factor treatments is is very much related of course to the uh the, the economics of the of the pharmaceutical industry and so on so you had these remarkable results following these very simple protocols which sound uh self evident to most people and yet they are not implemented but that's really because you took charge and you did um, you did your own research but you didn't do anything that anyone else can't in principle do themselves i mean you changed the diet you measured measured tox- toxicity toxicity levels um and what what else and you you added some some supplements that enhance the receptivity uh, for I, the nutrients yeah some just just very few supplements completely modified his diet and also uh, started physiotherapy although um, he had uh, little resistance initially it was a little forcefully introduced physiotherapy but then right. he again he said it now and it, and it's your belief that all all those things really added up to uh, yeah. to a wholesome uh, and i mean we We, you, you know, you told us the results, and and I assume your grandfather is in continuous progression um, from from where he wa- from where he was. Yeah, at least uh, uh, he at the stage he was in. Even if I'm not able to get him back to normal, make him drive a car or something like that, mm-hmm. at least his quality of life has significantly improved. Yeah, and that's that, more mean- than. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just a wonderful story. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm touched, um, which is why I, I I wanted you to tell it. But you also had a patient just to finish finish on the uh, on the sort of particular examples. You also had a a very obese patient. Um, again, uh, one of these typical almost lifestyle derived uh, chronic uh, illnesses that that so many people suffer from today. And and tell tell us about that one. ever since i started this journey i think every patient has been like a miracle because i just do simple stuff like remove bad stuff introduce little good stuff and i'm done and the magic is <laughs> happens Brilliant. the body takes care of everything so to give you an illustration i uh, for example uh, you have uh, diabetes which is also considered the traditional uh, medicine looks at diabetes as a progressive disease so when a person is diagnosed with diabetes uh, we always start him with one drug then over few years it progresses to two drugs three drugs and then insulin and then um, throughout the life we tell him that you need to be on medication and when we look at the statistics 
because of the medication the uh, complications of vascular complications might have slightly reduced but then we don't improve the mortality or the morbidity of the patient at just, all just just explain to us the vascular uh, condition what 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 does that mean yeah so when um, uh, the, there is excess of glucose in the blood right it can cause a problem everywhere in the kidneys it can cause nephropathy in the eyes it can cause blurring of vision it can cause retinopathy in the peripheral vascular system it can cause uh, neuropathy it can cause pain and uh, decreased uh, sensation on the limbs and glucose so, is not just sugar it can be an excess of carbohydrates right yeah uh, it's it's mainly we uh, what we see is the uh, glucose is how the body metabolizes carbohydrates and reaches uh, uh, all over the body so we mainly look at the glucose when we so what did you do with with this just explain this this situation because he was severe yeah, so, right uh, when a patient comes to me they are uh, at uh, in state i mean they are also at a progressive stage of diabetes mm-hmm. they uh, to give you an example of one patient he had um, uh, grade 1 kidney diseases because of diabetes he had uh, retinopathy he had blurring of vision he also had lost two of his toes because of his some non healing ulcers he developed uh, due to diabetic complication yeah that's pretty typical right i mean that 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 occurs pretty frequently yeah the uh, infection really aggravates in diabetes and uh, they end up you know sometimes we just cannot control the infection we have to amputate to save the rest of the limb yeah so that way he has lost uh, two toes uh, and also uh, he had um, um uh, he ha- he was an insulin for about 25 years so the only small changes i made was drastically i mean radically change his diet to have more vegetables and uh, healthy fats and reduce the amount of uh, refined carbohydrates processed food and within about uh, he was on 14 units of insulin and within one month it came down to about 50 uh, 12 to 16 units of insulin and je- incorporating little bit of exercises like yoga and a little bit of cardio uh, in two months he was out of insulin and uh, he was hold on, on, hold on, hold on. let's let's just pause there for a minute so for 20 plus years this yeah. person has been on an increasing dosage of medicines of various kinds insulin of course being yeah. you know the primary one and in two months from doing perfectly normal things just because you look at it differently this guy is now off the medicine he yeah. has suffered immeasurably kidney failure his toes have are gone and 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 more amputations perhaps are occurring he he has a he's severely severely deprived of of any quality of life because of his immobility and so on and so forth and so in two months where are we now he's he's off the medicines and uh, and 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 yeah. then what 
and uh, when you look at his uh, cost also he used to spend about 100 dollars a month for his medications right. now he spends about 10 dollars a month uh, for just a, he he was also a cardiac uh, patient so i have not got him out of cardiac medication so just a little bit of medication is still there right. so the whole point of uh, the problem is when uh, uh, when we start them on medication we don't want the patient uh, i'm talking about the traditional allopathic view when sure. we uh, when the patient is on medication we don't want the blood sugars to fluctuate go too high or too low so we tell them to have small meals have multiple meals throughout the day maintain the blood sugar uh, constantly that is with medication but we are not addressing the fact that the problem of uh, is is because of excessive carbohydrates excessive insulin um, stimulation and for that we have to incorporate at least a little bit of fasting and give the body time to remove the excess glucose which is got built up in the cells so this uh, change in thinking has to happen uh, in terms of uh, looking not just at the symptoms but at the root cause at the biochemistry of this uh, disease this reminds me of uh, when i was at university in the late 90s in in the uk uh, and tony blair was elected uh, with a whole new labor paradigm and uh, and the catchphrase was always uh, the root causes of the problems and we always talk about the root causes when when we deal with social issues and economic issues so particularly in the relation to equality for years and years and years this debate has been raging um you know we don't want to just send checks uh, to these people we want to alleviate it in the first place and i see the parallel of course uh, now to health and medicine but so just very briefly where where is that patient now he's he's i've become fascinated by 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 these guys where where is he today he is uh, at a very uh, prominent uh, uh, position in his career so he's enjoying his uh, you know he's got more energy more uh, he's able to work for longer hours he he doesn't have the you know fatigue which he used to get in the afternoon so he he's really <laughs> uh, it's just changed his life now so i think this is more uh satisfying for me than doing surgeries yeah, so I that's can, why i have i i i i can sure. i can well believe that but touching on surgeries because i remember i mean i wasn't aware of this and now we want to get to um kind of how we got to this which is in my view insane situation um uh and have created a a multi billion hundreds of billion dollar industry around it to basically ensure that it stays maybe not ensure that it stays stays the same way but but uh, but this but it helps reinforce the structure but you were telling me about um a, a treatment that's um applied which is a surgery of the stomach uh, for severely obese people so people of 150 kilos and and above where they where they surgically go and shrink the stomach and this um this is what alerted you to some of these things because of the um the consequences uh, after this just just briefly explain that yeah 
so when my father is a surgeon actually so when i was in med school uh, he st- was doing something called bariatric surgery yeah. so this surgery is uh, f- done for morbidly obese people that we either cut the stomach pa- about most of the stomach out so that we limit the capacity of the stomach so the person can't eat enough so gradually the person will lose weight or we bypass the stomach and some part of the intestine and connect the uh, low upper part of the stomach directly to the lower end of the intestines so that there's not enough absorption of food happening and uh, the person gradually loses weight but yeah, what happened is yeah they start yeah. burning fat yeah yeah so what happened after the uh, they started doing this uh, surgery is uh, they patients also uh, started experiencing metabolic changes which could not be explained the next day after surgery the diabetes was gone the person who was on 80 90 units of insulin did not require any insulin on the next day the patient who had arthritis knee problems didn't uh, the pain was gone after bariatric surgery so when i came across this in my med school i got fascinated that a surgery can you know cure metabolic diseases chronic diseases so that's when i i got into surgery but over the past 10 years now we have realized that uh, it's not just the hormones which are playing but the microbiome of the intestines uh, that is the bacteria uh, in the in our intestines is radically shifting after by the bariatric surgery and that may also be responsible for all the metabolic changes which is happening in the body so now i realize that when we are able to you know treat the microbiome handle the microbiome and uh, we don't need the surgery uh, we 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 can you know radically change uh, keep the person the, the something called yo yo phenomenon happens when a person loses weight very rapidly uh, about 30 40 kgs in a period of time then they get back to the uh, original weight but when you really do a holistic approach address the microbiome address the uh, mental um, uh, train the person to form good habits change the perspective of the person to not have addictions then you can really sustain the change of a person and we don't really need surgeries now uh, no, at least that's for obviously these, uh, that's obviously yeah. what we want to get to we 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 want to obviously yeah. avoid the surgery to the extent that, that it's possible but what what do you mean by this microbiome and how and how how does that work is that is that a food intake or supplement or yeah so uh, we have uh, what uh, so basically when we look at the intestines we have about 1 to 1.5 kg worth of uh, bacteria right from our upper gi to up to the colon i mean the anus and the most part of it is in the colon so this bacteria is in the intestines is called the microbiome it, it doesn't have to be just the bacteria it can be some parasites or fungi or anything which is living in our body and helping us uh, in our uh, you know normal function of our body so what it does uh, we thought was uh, 
over the last 10 years the understanding of our microbiome has you know radically changed and uh, shifted the paradigm so we have realized that it is uh, that if you look at the genetic makeup of um, uh, of your body you have, we have about 20000 genes but our uh, in our microbiome itself we have more about 20 to 30 times more of genetic material than what our own genome has yeah and uh, foreign bodies effects yeah foreign <laughs> yeah so and uh, when when we uh, look at our immune system also two third of the immune cells uh, are in the gut so after uh, hold on uh, this is i mean this, this nobody knows this well i mean I'm sure lots of people do, but I didn't, and I think a lot of people I know didn't know this. So, yeah. two thirds of all the stuff that we essentially need for our immune system is actually in our intestines or our gut. I mean, we're going to talk about the the gut brain in, in a short while, but I mean, this is fascinating. So, there are two things here. First of all, we need to understand and get comfortable with the fact. that bacteria is good for us now in these covid days i think that's a very important message that you want to be careful that you are not you know um insulating yourself from healthy bacteria and we have to stop thinking about it necessarily as a threat or a danger in fact it is i mean 75% of our defense system derives from these Yeah, <laughs> alien bodies, which are almost like antigens, I suppose, in some sense. But anyway, sorry. So, 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 carry on. So, well, what I meant was the seventy-five uh, percent of the immune cells is in the lymphatic system of the gut. Right. Uh, so that's in the blood vessels of the gut. So now, now when we really, uh, so gut is exposed to foreign. material much more than any other organ is exposed to so sorry just that's the live tv that's how it is that's okay <laughs> can we just stop for 5 minutes yeah 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 sure i i just okay so so um the gut i'm i'm sitting here looking at my notes that i've been taking whilst we're speaking so forgive me for having to look down a little bit but um so so this the whole gut system obviously plays a, a a vital part and that's perhaps one of the big findings that you've done so and and we briefly touched on the um the kind of exchange or the transferability of information uh, between uh, the outer world and and these foreign bodies that are the bacteria in our in our gut or colon that obviously plays a very important part uh, as we've seen in the two cases that you mentioned um now we get this obviously from the skin where we exposed to the outer world and then through the mouth so uh, especially i suppose the food that we eat so just quickly tell us about how how that whole process works from your point of view and how it's important to maintain that cycle of events but also what type of uh, new supplements rather than just vitamins and minerals 
and probiotics. But I remember you you mentioned uh, some other um, uh, some other nutrients that play a part in the dynamic uh, and the absorption and absorbability of, uh, of of all these nutrients. Yeah. So. Um... To tell you about uh, where the nutrients are heading now, we our understanding till now has been in the macronutrients, which are the carbohydrates, lipids, and proteins, and micronutrients, which we look at minerals and vitamins mainly. But now we have realized that there are certain uh, components in the plants which are called phytonutrients. Phytonutrients. So these phytonutrients not only, uh, you know, improve the microbiome health, provide nutrition to the microbiome and increase the good bacterial health, but also they, some of the enzyme, uh, it will also help us in the optimal function of our enzymes also in the body. So for example, we have uh, beta carotene in the yellow and orange vegetables. Right. We have uh, something called sulforethan in um, are cruciferous vegetables like the cabbage, cauliflower, and so these are naturally occurring things. Yeah, these are all naturally occurring. Mm -hmm. uh, so what the it really, but uh, when we look at how our ancestors ate, uh, we have evolved over a million years, and uh, over the last hundred hundred and fifty years, our diet has radically changed. We we've had this. Uh, industrial revolution and the agricultural revolution, which has completely changed uh, the, which we have concentrated on grains so much that uh, our, over the past couple of thousand years, our ancestors never focused so much on grains. So if we look at uh, our uh, genetic, um, uh, you know, change what we have gone through, most of our time we have spent in the evolution as uh, hunter-gatherers. If you look at the human evolution. So as hunter-gatherers, we ate a whole variety of uh, fruits and vegetables and nuts and uh, everything which was available. And we had a lot of variety. So if when we do the same uh, principle now, we are able to see that there's a lot of changes in the entire uh, human physiology and biochemistry, when we look at, have a huge, all kinds of colors in our diet in one week, if you have all the colors available in terms of vegetables and also have variety of vegetables, not just stick to carrot or cucumber and beans or something, uh, have a staple diet, have a variety, like how it is in the Mediterranean. So diet. it's really like a, a, a painting, you know, make sure you yeah. get the whole palette of colors and shapes and yeah. sizes, because that's yeah. really how you get the balance and uh, and the variety that's necessary. Yeah. Right. Whereas it's, be, be, it's been very singular, as you say, it's been very grain based. And we yeah. know that many of the, um, uh, many of the diabetes issues uh, stem from yeah, as you said, excessive um, excessive uh, carb intake, which which uh, translates into sugar. I mean, I think mm. more and more people are becoming aware of this. Uh, corn in the U.S. is is a big factor. But how? So, so again, um, 
we 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 have all this readily available to us, uh, and it's it's industrial, societal, economic changes that have brought us uh, away from it, and we've built up a whole industry that obviously has served an enormous amount of good. I mean, you mentioned the industrial revolution. So if we if we put this in a in a in a historical context, then I, I remember you were telling me uh, last time I think we spoke, you know, through. Uh, the 18th and 19th century, obviously, we had the, the primary challenge was infectious diseases, um, you know, the pneumonia, the plague, etc. Um, uh, and it was uh, uh, and it was uh, molecules, single molecules, that uh, represented the challenge. And and now we are now we are challenged or threatened by other types of diseases, the the, the chronic ones, so the most uh, prevalent and dominant ones being dementia, lung and heart vascular, uh, Alzheimer's, you know, which we talked about also in, in, in the case of your, your grandfather. And these incidentally are also the ones in these COVID times who are the most exposed people. And because these diseases themselves are multifactorial in their causes, so too by natural extension should be the treatments and that's your whole thesis um, which I find interesting and, and then tell us tell us how much at medical school how much time do you spend on these sort of things which we know play a, a, a major part but how how widely is this taught you know in our first uh, year of medicine in med school we spend about we have uh, about maybe uh, eight to ten hours of nutrition and then we learn a little bit of about deficiencies and how to manage that in uh, preventive medicine and general medicine right. but uh, because we go into the depth of uh, the pathology and diseases we uh, doctors assume that we know a lot about nutrition uh, but the nutrition science has evolved so much over the past um, at least last 10, 15 years that we can really, every person is not the same. Like how you were mentioning if, if you, uh, for how we have been evolving in medicine by allopathy especially is by molecules and uh, doing trials in, in terms of single drugs. So we have always been thinking for a particular disease, we need a particular drug. Yeah. So this, these symptoms, you will, you know, help us diagnose this particular disease. And for this disease, we need to give this molecule. Mm. So when we uh, try to, um, you know, statistically look at um, uh, evidence, it's easy to produce evidence uh, in for a pharmacological agent. But when it comes to this holistic approach to medicine, it's very difficult to say that just the adding uh, spinach to your diet is causing this uh, change in your body. It's not so as simple as uh, adding a molecule. It, it, it is the entire spectrum of changes. You need yeah, to- Yeah, of course, with the way, uh, with the, way the, uh, the whole research uh, um, industry and, and 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 way of evidencing things yeah. is, is exactly that it's it's evidence-based and of course things should be evidence-based but it means the it becomes very restrictive because it's it's hard to measure 
uh, in very simplistic terms, uh, yeah. a whole range of different factors if you want to come to a conclusion. Whereas if you just have one single input and it has an instant effect on the uh, on the symptoms, then yeah. and that's basically what has driven the industry. And so those are the treatments that are considered medicinal. Yeah, if you look at the funding of the research, also the mm -hmm. it's all the research. Ninety percent of the research done today is funded by pharmaceutical industries, at least uh, industries which make profit. So you know, nutrition. It's hard to make profit in nutrition. So nobody is interested in nutritional research and nobody funds them. Our medical conferences are funded by pharmaceutical industries. How are we take decisions, form protocols? All that is funded by pharmaceuticals and driven by pharmaceutical industry. So that is why we are, uh, our perspective has been a little narrowed or, um, you know, uh, and it has been the path has been created by the pharmaceutical industry, and we are moving in that direction. Which so is why if, you uh, you told me when we first spoke. I, I asked you, so what is what is your ambition ultimately? And you told me you wanted to create a a, a, a functional medicine center or whatever, which would comprise I forget uh, a yoga teacher, a health professional, but with a medical background. Uh, maybe massage therapist, a phys uh, physiotherapist, and then of course uh, maybe a surgeon um, or, or a doctor in order to address all these uh, issues. Yeah. So, like I said, the four pillars of uh, yeah. health. If if we address that, we can you know make a radical change in uh, chronic diseases. So for that, it is. Uh, we, we need a teamwork. It's just not a practitioner or a one person uh, looking at the patient. The patient needs to be uh, educated about how to, it's not, see, we, we, we can give a prescription, a dietary prescription and say, you eat this and you, that's all. But that's not sustainable. He'll get fed up of that change. So we need to educate uh, the dietary and the, food education has to become part of the hospital yeah. and we need to train people how to make, uh, to take decisions when they go for shopping, to, to learn the way the cook, you know, the grilling, the kind of, uh, when you grill, you have so much of inflammatory substances, which causes change in the blood stream also increases. Uh, it, it causes, uh, it's a risk factor for developing coronary heartery disease, atherosclerosis. So, really? yeah. So it's it's fundamental things which uh, we really need to and uh, we need to uh, make the nutritionist, the health coach, part of the treatment protocol in all chronic diseases, and yes, also right. uh, yeah. the yoga therapist and an exercise physiologist should become a part of the healthcare uh, ecosystem. Yeah, it's like you say, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's, 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 a, it's teamwork. It's a team effort that needs yeah. to go into it. I mean, there's, there's a, I see it as a sort of three-factor, uh, three three-step um, uh, engagements. And, and one is a cooperative element. Um, you know, there's a blend of different inputs, um, as you say, there is, there's something about education, there's obviously the dietary, and then um, something about your, your activity levels, 
and and these are the basic things. You know, you you, you mentioned yoga, uh, but it's taking the stairs instead of the elevator. It's going for a daily walk. All these simplistic things, which also exposes your skin to some of these and 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 other parts of your body to the mouth to to all these. Um, gems that we that we need to be exposed to. It's, so it's physical as well, and, and and then dietary. So those those three factors. Uh, so the gut. I don't know. Actually, I remember last time at this point when you were telling me this, I sort of threw up my my hands and exclaimed, "But why why on earth is this not being taught at school?" I mean, uh, there are so many subjects that you the, in, the minute you take the exam, you've forgotten all about it, and it serves you no purpose later in life. Whereas this is absolutely essential for your for your well-being for your functioning for your survival uh, for your health i mean as far as i'm concerned these are far more important than i still think we should be taught algebra and i was pretty good at it and i'm, I'm glad i did it and, and, and so on and so forth mm -hmm. but uh, maybe this should be incorporated uh, in a much more fundamental level into people's education and certainly uh, at med school. Yeah, when, uh, when you say about schools, I remember uh, reading about American schools where they serve pizza, burger and fries for lunch in schools. So that, that's really, <laughs> I, I cannot imagine, you know, the children being fed and we are feeding the epidemic of chronic diseases. Uh, of course, America has the highest number of um, uh, the ratio and the incidence of chronic diseases is one of the highest in America. And this may be the reason uh, also because uh, of the, you, it's called the standard American diet, which yeah. is, a, uh, it's all fries and pizzas and burgers and cheese. And the, it, it's really uh, very disheartening to see that happening yeah. in schools. But I mean, this is this is where things become obviously there's societal and, and cultural and conventions and so on and so forth. But there's also the whole way we frame things. So, you know, I, I think language and conceptualizations matter hugely. And I know we're going to talk about also uh, the mental aspect of these things, both the current state in the world as well as the part that it plays in, in health. But But just before that, uh, I remember going back again to my university days. Um, Jamie Oliver introduced, I uh, wanted to introduce um, uh, healthy eating and awareness of food at the schools. And initially, he was, um, I mean, he was maligned, and people were laughing at him and saying this is ridiculous and idiotic. And it's and it's just it's so bizarre that we have these attitudes. And then the last thing I want to mention in that regard is this division, again, in our conceptualizations of things between hard and soft science. And hard science is better. Hierarchically, in, in our estimations, we, 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 for some bizarre reason, rank hard science higher. And we consider all the things that you've just told us about with all the evidence behind it, uh, that's soft science. And not really taking all that seriously. So this is really like a paradigm shift that needs to take place, but I, but that I think is happening. Would you would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, in terms of um, uh, 
we uh, we the way we are uh, the information is being uh, accessible now uh, so easily and uh, that if you look at the positive aspects i was able to get hold of all this information although i don't have access to all this whatever i told you in any of my medical books or i don't have any buddy in india around me talking about all this uh, of course uh, if you look at ayurveda it's, it's it's always been that the same thing we are just talking it in talking ayurveda in english now so okay. but still i has the uh, this uh, people like you and me interested in soft science uh, have more opportunity now Mm. and i think you know be the information and education being accessible will really uh, shift the perspectives and uh, accessibility also yeah i agree i mean just to, to go back on on the gut as the as the second brain i mean this is a big phenomena that's uh, that's that's growing in awareness i mean you, i i think i mentioned one of the mm. times that we spoke about how many of the top coaches amongst the extreme athletes so you know i i do crossfit myself and used to do lots of kickboxing and so on and uh, coaches within those sort of extreme sports fields they are now paying much more attention uh, to both the state of the mind uh, interestingly i mean they all advocate meditation and i know you've done some uh some writing on uh, on mantra chanting and uh, and and meditation so so I want to hear about that in a, in a bit but but going back to the gut had the importance of that not just you know feeding yourself lots of probiotics but finding nutritionally not just in terms of the energy that you need but how it how it works uh, at the metabolic side of 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 the health and and stimulates the immune system and so on and at that point you mentioned the vagus nerve so talk to us just briefly about that and the function that it has yeah well, we have something called the autonomic uh, autonomic nervous system which um, is responsible for all the involuntary things we do like uh, the heart beats and we breathe and a digestion happens and all the magic that happens without yeah, us having to think about it yeah a miracle yeah <laughs> so in autonomic nervous system we have a something called sympathetic nervous system which is the flight or fight response which we have when we are stressed uh, our stress hormone is uh, secreted by the sympathetic nervous system the cortisol and uh, when we sweat and uh, we uh, our adrenergic uh, response all that is part of the sympathetic nervous system the opposite effect is the parasympathetic nervous system which calms the body which reduces the heart rate which calms our uh, gut also so one of the nerve uh, is in the parasympathetic is the vagus nerve which is also responsible for uh, controlling the gut activity all the digestion and um, so uh, what we thought was the vagus nerve was predominantly carrying signals from the brain uh, mm-hmm. and supplying to the gut and yeah. the brain is controlling the gut and the digestion and that's what we thought but uh, the recent research shows that the 
vagus nerve is actually carrying more signals from the gut to the brain so when we say our gut feeling it's actually true in terms of the neurobiology also we uh, actually are uh, and also uh, we have an hormone called serotonin which is a feel good hormone yeah and 80% of serotonin is secreted in the gut yeah something like 2/3 to 80% yeah yeah 2/3 to 80% is secreted in the gut yeah so uh that's how important the gut health is and when we only look at the macro level like you mentioned the athletes were initially looking only at the protein and carb intake and concentrating on the processed food so when you look at endurance sport itself uh, cross fitness for a long time or endurance uh, you know training for iron man so that itself will put you into a chronic inflammatory state yeah Uh, it's a low grade inflammation which is happening because the stress you are creating in the body is for a longer duration uh, which has crossed the threshold what you can handle so there is a low grade chronic inflammation happening in the body and when you couple it with the processed food which you put in terms of the processed proteins and um, which are difficult to digest that increases the inflammation in the gut so that will uh, like i said the two third of the infl- uh, immune cells are in the gut so the immune cells start reacting to the inflammation happening in the gut so what happens the gut lining uh, has a particular threshold it cannot absorb uh, particles of any size but when the immune the lining of the gut is starts getting inflamed it starts getting more permeable to larger uh, molecules so these larger molecules are not optimally digested inside the tract and they get into the blood stream yeah. and these molecules are uh, looked at as foreign bodies, bodies from your immune system yeah. and the immune system develops antibodies against these um, uh, foreign bodies and they form antigen antibody complexes which then propagate the autoimmune uh, problems so you might so you might not experience any gut problem as such it it can just be vague bloating but you might be getting migraines you might be getting some skin lesions like psoriasis you might be getting knee pain and the knee pain may not be musculoskeletal it may be you know the joints are getting uh, uh, there is autoimmune antigen antibody complexes sitting in the joints causing arthritis so it can uh, so everything so when you're actually at, caused by inflammation derived from gut, yeah. gut dysfunction if you like so even even yeah. in the um, even in the uh, pursuit and uh, and thinking that you are doing something good you're exercising uh, mm-hmm. to the extreme or be it but yeah. even thinking that you're eating the right food because it's processed and thereby hard to digest and absorb you end up causing these things which can have all sorts of ramifications and effects that you think yeah. are entirely unrelated as you said you've got knee knee pain you you think you've got an issue in the knee that's skeletal uh, or muscular yeah um okay so uh 
we know it's a multi-factor thing. Um, we know that there is a, um, a lifestyle um, and cultural uh, element to this. Um, and we know what we have to move towards um, is a new paradigm. And it's one where we have to kind of take responsibility ourselves, but there is also a, obviously a support dimension to it. You know, we need others to sustain, to make it sustainable and to make it enduring. Um, but I just want to go back to, to the interplay of these nutrients and so on, because last time you, you mentioned melaton, glutatum, I think as well, and how these things uh, play a part. So things that you would normally not consider um, nutrients or supplements, but play, play an important part. How, how do we obtain these and, and, and how do we ensure that we are probably, properly fed uh, these things and can you can you overdo it just like you can with with processed food and so on yeah uh, i'm sorry i'll just uh, close the door this question we can start off with my answer right this sure 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 so uh, when in functional medicine we look at um, uh, the it, Healing the gut has, uh, to make it very simple, we need to remove all the uh, factors which are causing inflammation, like the processed food, excess carbs, and also any impending infection in the gut. So once we remove that, we have to re-inoculate good microbiome. Right. So that can doesn't have to be with drugs. That can be your fermented food, uh, it, it can like the yogurt is has fermented probiotic bacteria. So uh, it, each uh, cuisine has its own fermented foods. So we you start re-inoculating the bacteria and you maintain the health of your microbiome by having a lot of uh, phytonutrients the fiber and the phytonutrients in the plants will maintain the health of your microbiome. And then uh, we can also repair the gut lining. So when it comes to repairing the gut lining, we use these uh, supplements, which you were mentioning, like uh, L-glutamine. Uh, so the, these nutrients will uh, improve the mucosal lining of the gut. So definitely this should not be a part of your regular uh, routine, like a constant, uh, uh, like you pop a daily multivitamin, you don't have to pop this. Uh, it, it has to be uh, planned and structured in a way which, uh, and personalized according to how what problems the person is facing. Right. And then you rebalance the whole uh, gut and microbiome by completely reducing the stress, having the mindfulness practices, meditation and breathing practices. So all these practices will really reduce the sympathetic uh, part of the autonomic nervous system, increase the parasympathetic activity of the nervous system, and that will improve the gut health. And there's plenty of actual 
journal approved and evidence-based uh, research that, I mean, this is where previously I mentioned, you know, you'd written something on mantra chanting and, and so on. I mean, this has a, a proven effect on your, on your nervous system, calming it, which in turn has a reciprocal effect on your stress levels, which mm. itself has implications in a positive regard um, on cortisol levels, um, inflammation, and so on and so forth. It, it, have I understood that correctly? Yeah, the what you uh, were mentioning, the post I had written was uh, looking at the heart rate variability. Yeah. So heart rate variability is um, uh, fairly a new co concept, and it is it measures the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. Uh, activity of the body so uh, it, it it's it, it's not very uh, now even your iphone uh, apple watch has can tell you about your heart rate variability there are so many wearable devices which measure your uh, pulse which can also measure your heart rate variability so that can be a simple uh, marker for you to know how much of um, an impact the stress is having and how much you're responding. So uh, we, we need evidence to say that uh, the mantras are helping or some meditation is helping. So this is can be a marker uh, to actually measure. The higher your heart rate variability, the better your parasympathetic um, system is working. So- yeah, because, uh, um, sorry to interrupt there because and because it's very important, the, the heart rate variability is proven to be one of the best indicators of uh, the likelihood or imminence of, say, a heart attack, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it can, uh, you know, predict the risk of having a heart dis a stroke or cardio uh, cardiovascular diseases mm -hmm. uh, when you have lower heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a wonderful tool for we, which we can use to measure and uh, you know really prove that all these uh, elements which are improving our lifestyle and also improving the balance in our body is actually helping us recover from diseases and uh, treat diseases also. Mm. It's uh, I mean now that we are talking about. Uh, stress and inflammation. Let's let's just stay on this topic because um, uh, I was I was speaking, having a similar conversation like we are today for a, for another um, broadcast with a, a theologian, and we were we were talking about the um, the mental state. Obviously, initially or primarily in terms of uh, faith and, and and belief and so on, and the role that religion place in, in, in her life and, and why she thinks that's meaningful, but also the mental state of especially young people today, and you know, particularly in reference to, you know, the lockdowns and, uh, and the fear uh, that people are walking around with. And, and these things play a very real factor. So in the process of what we think is providing a, a temporary solution to a problem, we are actually generating a pretty profound future one. Um, and I mean, I know you've, you've read, studied and, and written about 
stress and inflammation. So maybe we can just talk about what kinds of stresses that, that occur um, and, and why it's important to be aware of those. Yeah, this actually there is a lot of evidence now to show that the social interaction, uh, regular social interaction itself can really reduce the inflammation. Uh, so that itself is being, uh, you know, foregone in this uh, times of COVID and lockdown. So, uh, of course, we can always uh, use uh, this kind of a video chat and social networking. But the impact it is having on teenagers is uh, radical. We, we are not able to have the kind of input they're having from social media. And also, they we are removing the social interaction from their life. They're not able to go to the playground, and they're not able to interact with people. Not, so, the, not the teenagers go to the playground a lot, but, but <laughs> other places. But <laughs> I get your voice. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, there's definitely uh, enough evidence now that um, the social interaction can cause uh, increased dopamine, serotonin hormones, which, which will have a positive impact on the brain and also reduce the uh, inflammation and stress level. Yeah. And this comes, this is why we, we keep coming back to, you know, the holistic approach, the, the multifactorial, you know, your, your, um, uh, your functional uh, approach to things. And that's where, uh, again, I, I throw up my hand jubilantly to a, to a phrase that you, that you used a lot and you haven't used it so far. So I'm going to make sure it's mentioned. And, and it's the catchphrase that I associate with you, which is from illness to wellness, you know, in, in all the different aspects. I think, uh, Maybe I mean, we've been going on for a long time, and uh, and we've got we've got we need to keep material for for the other sessions as well. So uh, maybe we should maybe we should finish it here. That note from wellness from illness to wellness, which I think you've provided a fantastic explanation for, from a biological to uh, a societal one. I think it's so important, and to hear it from someone who is an, a, an accredited expert in the traditional one to, and makes all these things that you are saying so much more uh, persuasive. I think people are more receptive, uh, even if they already know it. I mean, we, if, if, if something is important, we need to hear it many, many times. Um, yeah. and, and that's why I think, I mean, I think I want to thank you, and I'm, I'm going. We're going to provide links to to, to your LinkedIn and so on, so people can follow what you're writing. Because you're continuously writing about uh, findings that you come across. Yeah. So, I, like you mentioned, the to prevent this epidemic of chronic diseases, we have to look beyond illness, and uh, we have to move from just treating diseases to optimizing the body's physiology. So that's why I said we have to shift our focus from just treating illness to, uh, you know, aiming to achieve wellness, to just being fine from, uh, you know, patient goes back home from the hospital with just being fine. 
but patient has to go back feeling fantastic yeah. so uh, we need to really focus on um, treating the root cause and completely reversing chronic diseases and aiming for wellness and having a fantastic life so that's my final agenda that's <laughs> oh, fantastic so let that be the starting shot that launches a uh, a societal and cultural change in that direction and with that uh, i want to thank you from from certainly from my point of view and uh, and i'm sure also from all the listeners and viewers thank you so much kasper for giving me this opportunity to it's be a part a, of your novel initiative uh, it's been an absolute pleasure Du har lyttet til en podcast fra Free Observer. Hvis du ønsker mere viden om Free Observer eller ønsker at foretage en donation, kan du gå til vores hjemmeside freeobserver.org eller følge os på Facebook under Free Observer.